There's a story about a guy who was visiting a friend in West Virginia. And he took him one Sunday to a little old one-room clapboard, white clapboard school church. He really didn't know what to expect because he really didn't know what kind of minister or what kind of church this was. And the pastor was up front and he was drinking something. It looked like water, but he drinking something up front. And then all of a sudden he pulled out a burlap bag and started pulling snakes out of the burlap bag and started going down the aisle handing them to people so that they could hold the snakes too. And of course, needless to say, this guy was frantic all of a sudden. He finally figured out what was going on. And he was turning one way and turning another, trying to find which way to go. And the only exit that he could see was up past the pastor where he was up there handing out snakes. So he turned to the guy next to him who had brought him and he said, where's the back door? I got to get out of here. And the guy said, we don't have no back door. And the guy said, all right then, where would you like the back door? As I mentioned to you last week in the Easter sermon, this last part of Mark is unlikely written by Mark, these verses from 9 to 20. Uh, It's strange that Mark would have ended his gospel with the women at the tomb being afraid. And the original ending was probably lost a long time ago. Perhaps it was burnt. Perhaps it was ripped off from the scroll. Because I earnestly believe that Mark wanted to tell us more about the resurrection, about experiences and situations. Because he refers to that in chapter 14 when he talks about Jesus going into Galilee. And you will see him there. So obviously Mark knows about the resurrection. And he wants us to know more about the resurrection. But his is an unfinished story. And we do not know what he would have said. In these verses 9 through 20, some of the oldest existing Greek manuscripts do not contain this section. About a hundred of those Greek manuscripts. And even some of the manuscripts, there's an asterisk next to these verses to indicate they were additional. They were added on later on. About one-third of the vocabulary you find in these verses is unlike anything else in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And there's even some grammatical transitions in between verses that are unmark-like. By the same token, there were many early Christian writers who knew about these verses and used them in their literature. And they felt that they were genuine. They were a part. Whether Mark wrote them or not, they were a part of the Bible. And the overwhelming majority of ancient manuscripts, manuscripts can't talk, do include this passage. And some of our earliest historians believe that they are part of the gospel. And if that's true, you might ask yourself, well, what in the world was the writer trying to prove by this? If it's not, gospel, if, if it's not Mark, who was it? A scribe? Somebody copying this, saying, this needs a better ending than the women were afraid. We need to end this on a higher note. So we added some things. Maybe as far as the handling of snakes are concerned, maybe we pulled that from the Acts where we have the Apostle Paul shipwrecked on the island of Malta and he's building a a fire on the beach and there's a viper that comes out and grabs his hand and he pulls it off and throws it into the fire and those with him thought he was going to die, but he didn't. And all of a sudden they thought, well, he's a god, he's a god. Maybe about drinking poison, we go back to Eusebius and talked about a young pastor named Justus Persibus 
who was executed by the Romans, not by crucifixion, but by drinking poison. But he did not die. So we can see some indications throughout the gospel, some stories that might have ventured people down this path. But my problem is we get caught up too much in this. We get caught up too much in talking in tongues, handling snakes, and drinking gasoline. Now, that's part of who we are. We like that, you know? If it's on Netflix and it has to do with talking in tongues, drinking gasoline, or handling snakes, we'll watch it. Isn't that true? If it had to do with Jesus, we'd go, next. So it's part of our nature as human beings. And we can certainly get caught up in the weeds if we start to go down this path. And I think what you really need to look at this passage is a metaphorical passage. It's part of the story that gives us a better idea of what's going on. And what we really should take from this passage metaphorically is that we should not be afraid of poisonous stakes or of gasoline or of those speaking in tongues as long as we have an interpretation for those tongues. Do not be afraid of those things. They may indeed be a sign of God, they may not, but there is no reason that we need to be afraid because we as disciples and servants of the living Lord are in God's hands. Thankfully, I'm not talking about snakes and gasoline this morning. I know you wish I was because that'd be a lot more interesting than what I'm going to talk about. Not really. I want to talk about the Great Commission, the commission that you see here in the Gospel of Mark that has already been in the Gospel of Matthew that we record so often when we say, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark also records it here. Or a scribe records it here. Remember, Mark and Luke get a lot of their information. I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke get a lot of their information from Mark. Jesus gives us a job to do, folks. It is the task at hand And we have to be serious about what he has asked us to do. He asked the disciples and he asked us. And I have a few points that I want to give to you today. They are not to be written down, but they are to be thought about, prayed about, and applied in your lives. And you've heard some of these before, so I am reiterating. I think it is good to reiterate. I think it's good that we be reminded. I think it's good until we have them a part of who we are that we can say them anytime, anywhere. John Ed Matheson was the senior pastor at Fraser United Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama for over 30 years. And while I was still at seminary, he came to speak to us during an installation service at the beginning of the year when we installed new professors, very much like Mike was installed this past September. And John Ed got up, and what he said that day has stuck with me for years and years and years. And I have told you this before, but I tell you again. Because John Ed was right to the point. I'm sure he'd preached this many times before. There are many things that change in the life of the church. There are times when we do things different. We have different music, or we dress differently, or we have different versions of the Bible. But there are three things that always stay the same. The message, the Messiah, and the mission. The message, the Messiah, and the mission. The church, this church, his church, is built on these three components, and you are each a part of it. The church is built on the affirmation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We should never forget this. It's a message, it's a motive that we have for our existence, for what we are about as a church. We have no other reason to exist except for Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not Christ, then we all need to go home and quit. There's no other reason to be here. All we are is a glorified civic club, and maybe we're not even a good glorified civic club on Sunday morning. If Jesus is not Christ, why are you here? And what are you doing? The message about Jesus is that he created the church. And we are to affirm him and to affirm that and to remember it always. And not simply to remember it, but more importantly to apply it to our lives. You know, sometimes people say the church is old-fashioned or it's caught up in its old ways. It's too traditional. Well, you know, folks, it's worked for 2,000 years. The basic tenets of our faith have worked for 2,000 years. I don't think that's necessarily old-fashioned or stodgy or so traditional that we can't do new and different things as long as we keep those things alive. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't change. It doesn't mean that we don't do different things in different ways. But the root has to be Jesus Christ. The ideas and thoughts have to be based contextually from Jesus Christ and the Scripture, not someplace else. Christ is at the center of our decision-making. Christ should be at the decision at the center of our church. Christ should be at the center of all that we are about. We've always got to run our decisions, our issues, through the lens of Jesus Christ. If we're not, what are we doing? If we're not affirming the Christ, why are we here? How many times have I told you, keep the main thing, the main thing? I'll probably drive you up a wall with that. But it's so wonderful. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And if we don't lose that, we lose the message if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. And the church becomes something else totally. We have to keep the message of affirming Jesus Christ, the main thing. If we don't, the church diminishes. So let's pull on to the second point. The church is about the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the master of our lives, the ones that we follow. He is our Lord. He is our leader. He is the foundation for everything that we believe in. When Jesus Christ gathered his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, what did he ask of them? He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or Jeremiah or another prophet. And then he turned to them probably with an expression that only Jesus could do. And he looked at him and says, well, who do you say that I am? And barely had those words passed Jesus' lips. Then Simon answers, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church And the powers of death shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The church has a master. It has a leader. Someone who builds, who inspires, who leads us to greater things. Past ourselves, past things that we could ever be by ourselves. A church has a leader, someone that we can worship and serve and imitate. And that master is Jesus Christ. We have to remember not only the message, we have to remember why the message exists. 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one. If we forget who the master is, the message gets lost. If we forget it, then we warp it, we change it, we make it into something old or new, we bend it. When Christians take their eyes off of Jesus, they become something other than Christian. Hear me. When, Jesus, when we take our eyes off of Christ, we become something other than Christians. We seek our will and not God's will. We become culturally driven, not driven by God. We cannot afford that to happen. So we have the message, we have the Messiah, the Master, and now we have the mission, which is what we'll be talking about all month long. The mission, which is to go and tell. It's the task at hand. It's the job he gave his disciples. It's the job that he gives us. We're talking about going from these walls and sharing Jesus Christ, not running out to the street corner and asking somebody, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you know where you're going to go today if you die? It's talking about establishing relationships and sharing the love and the grace that is Christ with others. It's the mission that we have. We do it foreign, we do it domestic, we do it locally. It's about spreading the good news of the Master wherever we go. Christ said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. He said, not only to the disciples, he's saying that to you too. Are you going to serve him? Are you going to fulfill the mission that he has given you? And at first glance, some of you may look at it and say, well, that's a very narrow mission. Just saying Jesus Christ is Savior. Well, it doesn't mean we have hands off of everything. We should be involved in our society. We should be involved in our culture. But it all needs to be through the lens of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we say Jesus Christ and then we just sit around and wait for something to happen. We got to get busy. We got to be active. We can't expect somebody else to do it. He's asked us to do it. And if Jesus Christ is the one, if he is the sovereign over all creation, then every issue needs to be examined in the light of Jesus Christ. Every problem finds its solution in the depth of understanding Jesus Christ and his reason to exist. And that is why the mission of the church is so vitally important to all of us. The world was in trouble long before the church showed up. You know that as well as I do. And I read, look on the internet, look in the newspaper, look at watch the TV. I don't think it's any better. Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, I think it's a lot worse. And if we don't keep the mission alive and well by reaffirming Jesus Christ, this world doesn't stand a chance, folks. We are bound and determined to find a way to destroy ourselves one way or the other. And I don't think I'm being the prophet of doom there. The more I see and the longer I live, I go, whoa. And the trouble is, like I've told you so many times before, we know the solution. We know the answer. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it. So who do we have to blame? Jesus? No. Somebody else? No. Us. Jesus Christ always has been, always is, and always will be the world's greatest hope, bar none. In many respects, Jesus is our only hope to solve the problem. And that's why the church has this mission to spread the good news. What was it, two weeks ago? I talked about the two greatest commandments. We all know that. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's do those. We're done. Everybody go home. Sit down. Rest for the afternoon. If you do those two things, everything falls in place. We know the answers. We just don't want to do it. Why? Message, master, mission. Quite simple, isn't it? And yet as you get here to the end of Mark, you get here to the, this unfinished gospel, it reminds us also that the work is still unfinished. The work is never really finished because the story is not over yet. And you and I are a part of that story. We don't know where it will take us, but you and I are a part of that story. It's a continuing story, and all of us play a role, which means we need to be fulfilling the mission of reaffirming Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, what did he have? Eleven disciples. Some other followers, some other women, ragtag group. They probably looked like they were a bunch of crazy people to others there in Jerusalem. But we know that Jesus was crazy about them. You know why? Because Jesus could see what the potential was. Jesus could see what was inside of them. And I believe Jesus can see what's inside of you. The potential you have to serve the kingdom, to spread the message to uphold the master, and to fulfill the mission. I don't care how you do it. God's blessed you with talents, music, hospitality, service, teaching, making relationships. That's what this is all about, showing the grace and the mercy and the love that's Jesus Christ in who you are and in what you do and in how you treat others. I was talking to Eric Gibson today, talking down there at the Jonathan class. And since last year, I think they've invited six new people into that class. We're probably going to have to build a new wing just for the Jonathan class. They're growing so much. All they're doing is asking them to come. You don't have to stay. They don't put a ball and chain on your ankle, so you got to be there. They're just asking them to come. Come be a part of this. Come be a part of our church. Come be a part of the mission that we have, which is reaffirming Jesus Christ. I believe Christ sees something in each and every one of us that he wants to fulfill. Let me wrap this up by asking you to remember last Sunday, it's Easter, and I told you Easter is nothing if we keep quiet about it. Remember that? The resurrection is a sham if you are afraid of calling Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and acting as such. If you are afraid of the resurrection, I want you to remember John Ed's three words. Message, Messiah, mission. And I want you to take the resurrection to heart. I want you to let the resurrection change you from the inside out that you might change others by discipling others. You have the opportunity to change yourself and to change the world. I know, I know, yeah, pastor, I can barely change myself, much less change the world. you got to start someplace. You've got to be serious about it someplace. You've got to decide you want to fulfill that mission someplace. This is the place. This is the day. 
you have an opportunity. And while it may be fearful, while it may be frightening, it is also an awesome experience. And if you don't believe that, ask Mary Magdalene. Ask the disciples who were changed forever. Ask the people who have devoted their lives to Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel, if you are not changed from the inside out. So as I leave you, I ask you that simple question. Christ waits on your response. The church waits on your response. The dying world out there waits on your response. And the only question you truly have to answer is whether you're going to sit in these pews and wait or whether you're going to get up and go and tell. The choice is up to you. Would you bow your heads with me, please?